Hi, my name's Stephen Dickens, and I'm the host of the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project. The Open Mainframe Project is a Linux Foundation collaborative project that was put in place to promote the open source and Linux adoption on top of the mainframe platform. I'm joined today by my hopefully exciting guest. Um, I think she's going to be a rock star on this podcast, Jean Glass. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for including us in your series. We're thrilled to be part of the I Am a Mainframer podcast. Fantastic. So, so Jean, we normally start these by just getting you to introduce yourself, let the listeners get a, a, a view of you, who you are and the organization you represent. So if you could just get us away, that'd be fantastic. Sure. Thank you, Stephen. I'm founder and CEO at Virtual Z Computing. And day to day, I work with our team of senior executives, many who are well known in mainframe computing, like Vince Ray and Mark Combs, both world-renowned experts uh, in the mainframe industry. Uh, through our time working together at CA Technologies, uh, we reconnected about 18 months ago, uh, co-founded Virtual Z, and we're working to create new ways uh, to reduce mainframe software license fees in unique ways, uh, primarily through automation, and then for the first time, enabling true mainframe cloud computing and, and mainframe software as a service. So we're really excited about what we're doing. Wow. So there's there's enough topics for me to go through for probably three or four hours worth of podcast. <laughs> so you give me a lot of ammunition. So let's, let's just start. Obviously, the mainframe's been around for a long time. A lot of adoption out there in the marketplace. Just maybe spend a couple of minutes talking me through what it means to start a brand new organization in this space. Obviously, there's a lot of organizations that have been in this space for, for decades, but you're kind of at that bleeding edge running a, a sort of new innovative startup from what I've gathered from our previous conversations. Just really keen yeah, thank to you for kind of get that view and, and let the listeners hear, hear a little of your story. Thank you. That's actually been one of the most interesting aspects of starting Virtual Z. There's uh, two things that have really bubbled up as unique about our business in addition to the technology itself. One is we really announced our company and our product at Share in Phoenix in March. And at that conference, I didn't realize that we would stand out the way that we did because we were really the first new entrant as a mainframe ISV in a long time. And I didn't have that perspective coming into and creating Virtual Z. And the second thing I learned, uh, not realizing this as I was creating Virtual Z either, is that we are the first women-owned mainframe ISV in history since the platform was introduced in the 1960s. So we've received a lot of recognition. Uh, one is a women-owned business. IBM's been very supportive of us as a new um, women-owned technology company, and then in particular, the first and only in the mainframe space. And then also just people are excited to see a new company innovating in the mainframe software uh, space, which is very exciting for us. And we're innovating in a way that we believe is going to create uh, a shift in how mainframe software is licensed by enabling 
customers to license mainframe software as a service for the first time. So, so it's, it's been really eye-opening for us. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and I'm particularly interested in this women-owned business piece. As a father to four daughters, I'm, I'm really sort of tuned into this as my daughters approach the workplace. So can you really expand on that for our listeners and, and really what that means to be a woman-owned business? What, what that kind of means and, and, and what that recognition's meant? So the recognition practically has meant uh, a lot of awareness and marketing. IBM featured us in Terminal Talks uh, with Frank DiGilio and Jeff uh, Bisti and in IBM Systems Magazine in their May-June and then again in the July-August issue. Just a lot of sponsorship and promotion of Virtual Z as a women-owned business. Uh, Virtual Z as a women-owned business was foundational to the company. We have seven owners, three are women, four are male, and that means that the male owners need to be supportive of Virtual Z as a women-owned business because there are certain sacrifices. We have to have majority ownership, decision-making, you know, there's a lot of you know, process to maintain a women-owned business. And it's beneficial to our customers because they have certain targets that they have to achieve for diverse spending. So not only will Virtual Z help customers reduce their core mainframe software license fees, but also will help them achieve their corporate objectives. It's also important because a lot of the challenge in the mainframe goes back to skills gap and young people And women are an untapped resource to help promote and grow the mainframe. And so we've been doing a lot of work on women in IT at conferences like SHARE and others uh, to bring more attention to the mainframe at large through tapping into uh, young people and women. So we think it's very important um, at large just in the world, but also in particular in the mainframe space to create awareness around women and young people in the mainframe. And we're, we're working to do our part. We just sponsored, for example, a women in IT breakfast at SHARE in Pittsburgh. I spoke on a panel on women in IT at SHARE at Pittsburgh, and we'll continue to you know, support and do our part. What I've also learned and why I think it's important to create awareness about women in the mainframe and women in IT at large is through the process of founding Virtual Z, I've been surprised at some of the data. So one example that I recently learned is venture capital today, um, only 2% goes towards women-owned businesses. And of the 2% that is invested with women, Um, non-women-owned businesses receive around a million dollars in investment and women-owned businesses receive about $280,000 in investment. And yet women-owned businesses outperform by 2%. So there's a much bigger gap than I realized. And that has come to light as part of starting Virtual Z as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wasn't aware of those statistics and I'm alarmed by them. And 
you know, I'll, I'll certainly be following up to sort of dig in with you and get more details on that just for my personal edification. But I think that's, that's something we all need to be aware of. I know we're aware of it as an open mainframe project. We talk about it actively about board representation and how we sort of are looking to diversify um, kind of our structures and, and be more inclusive. It was just in our recent press release and I was out talking to some of the press at Open Source Summit North America last week. And, and that was one of the key features of our sort of press pack and our press package. So I think, you know, I'm glad to see that you're out there pushing on those boundaries as we are as a project. I think there's more we can all do in that space. And, and as I say, as a father to four daughters, I'm trying to prime the pump so that when they enter the workplace in sort of seven or eight years time, you know, it's a different landscape out there. And, and certainly we're not still talking about some of these issues. That's so, right. Thank you for that. So, so Jeannie, as we as we go from um, talking about virtual, I can't say virtual Z. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say virtual Z. Um, <laughs> as, we, as we transition from talking a little bit about you and your role at the company, and what you're doing as an organisation, this is the I'm a Mainframer podcast. I always like to try and get behind and get the sort of perspective of your personal journey. So if you can just maybe expand and, and give the listeners kind of how you've gone from maybe where a bunch of them are kind of looking to come out of college and looking to build their own career right through to some of our other listeners who are in kind of senior leadership positions. It's always interesting for me and I think listeners to understand your journey. So if you could give us an insight there. Sure. Um, from an educational perspective, I have a bachelor's degree in management information systems, which at the time was primarily a COBOL programming degree, and then went on to earn my master's degree in international management. But I ended up in computing really at the prompting of my mom because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was two years into college and still undecided. And she told me, you know, just take some computer courses because no matter what you do, you're going to require those skills. And it turned out to be a blessing because I really found my path. I would never have imagined that I would have any skills in COBOL programming, but it turned out I was good at COBOL programming and two teaching assistants at the university, I'm sorry, two professors at the university that I attended asked me to become their teaching assistant and the CIO at the university hired me as his staff assistant. So I was able to gather real world work experience and teaching experience while I was getting my degree at the university. And then when I graduated, I started as an IT trainer and ultimately moved into hardware and software sales. I, at one point, uh, quit my job. I was working in Minnesota, the state of Minnesota. I quit my job and packed up everything I owned into my car and drove to California just to experience new things and was fortunate enough to get hired by a Kleiner Perkins uh, startup company. I was hired by our now chief marketing officer, Lisa Wood, and ultimately ended up at Computer Associates. And that's where I met Vince Ray, Mark Combs, um, who are both, um, well, Vince Ray is our chief technology officer. Mark Combs is one of our strategic advisors. And then Mark Sokol was chief marketing officer at Computer Associates at the time. And he's now one of our strategic advisors as well. So it was really through my time at Computer Associates that I entered the mainframe arena. And I 
left the mainframe space for a while and being back in it for me, and I tell my team this all the time, I feel like I'm back home um, where I belong. Uh, this is the area that I have a passion about. And um, I'm very lucky to have reconnected with Vince and Mark and others uh, to create Virtual Z. Fantastic. And one of the things is, as I say, we have a lot of kind of people embarking on their career and college students who listen to the podcast kind of if you could go back and give yourself some advice you know the classic sort of tv time machine kind of scenario what would that advice be what would you sort of say to your younger self to kind of give that type of feedback and and sort of help guide the path that you you'd eventually get on yeah that's a great question thank you for asking that uh, one of the things that I would like to start doing more of is mentoring uh, young people and in particular young women in IT. And I've thought a lot about what could I do to be a better role model. And one of the things is to better educate myself on the data, like we talked about, you know, just a few minutes ago, some of that data is still surprising to me. So I feel that I need to get more current uh, so that I can be a better mentor. But in having those discussions at some of the women in IT events that I participated in, one of the things that's bubbled to the top for me is, you know, I would suggest taking risks. If I had to look back at how I came to create the kind of relationships that I've created and gather the skills that I've needed to now start Virtual Z, it really goes back to some of the pivotal points where I was afraid, but I took the leap of faith. And a couple of examples would be packing up my car in my 20s and driving by myself to California to have an experience. That was hard and it was scary. Um, moving to another state, joining the university, registering for computer programs when I knew nothing about computers. Um, that was also um, scary. And it was hard for me to act on my dream to create Virtual Z. Uh, it took a long time for me to make the first phone call that led to um, conversations with Vince and Mark that has now led to Virtual Z. So I would say, number one is, if, if you're feeling like there's something that you want to do, and you're, you're, you're hesitant or frightened, I think you just do it and reset if something doesn't work out and at least keep moving forward. The other thing I would say that's been critical in my career is building great relationships with people who inspire you. If you follow people who inspire you, they're going to be in alignment with your core values um, and there's going to be kind of a natural fit there uh, towards motivating you and raising your game in the areas that are important to you. And it's a very small industry and the relationships that we build are with us throughout our careers um, and even for a lifetime. It's kind of funny. Last week I was traveling with one of our strategic advisors and we got in the taxi at the airport and I had to chuckle and say, oh my gosh, when we worked together 15 years ago, could you ever imagine that today we would be co-founding Virtual Z in a car, in a taxi together, headed to a customer meeting? And the answer was a mutual chuckle and no, couldn't. Um, so you just never know. And I think aligning yourself with individuals who motivate and inspire you will 
go a long way in your personal life as well as in your career. So, I mean, that's a a solid two pieces of advice, I think, for people starting out on their career. I, I look at some of the things that I've done in my career and I can see a lot of echoes in that, but maybe not so articulately put. So, you know, that, that's, that's good feedback. So as we transition here a little, just tell me a little bit about what you see as the mainframe space going forward. Obviously, you've founded an organization because you see a market dynamic. Where do, where do you kind of see this space going forward? What, 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 what's, what are the big themes and dynamics that you're seeing in the mainframe space right now? Well, it feels like a little bit of resurgence in the mainframe space. As I said, I was just at SHARE recently, and I was surprised. I hadn't been to SHARE in about 10 years up until this past March, and then again at, at uh, SHARE Pittsburgh in August. And I was surprised at the number of young people and women um, who have entered this space since I was last uh, participating in those types of events. It feels like there's a bit of a resurgence in the platform, certainly uh, the Open Mainframe Project is helping bringing more awareness to the mainframe. Organizations like IBM and Broadcom are heavily investing in the mainframe and in filling the skills gap in this space. So in some respects, it feels like there's a bit of a resurgence, and we're excited to be part of that. A lot of the attrition in the mainframe has been due to cost. And we believe that we can help make the mainframe more affordable for customers through technology, but also with tailored fit pricing. There's non-technology innovations underway to help customers run the mainframe more affordably. What we see also is um, the merits of the mainframe. It's amazing that you know, being introduced in the 1960s and all the innovations that we've had uh, in the world since then, that the mainframe is still the most secure, reliable, available platform. Um, so we, we see the mainframe as the home to the world's most complicated and customized applications, and that will continue to hold true. We need to help customers make it more affordable, we believe by enabling software as a service on the mainframe, uh, we can help in that regard, as well as some of other, our other core technologies. We do intend to support uh, mainframe Linux on future releases as well, and there's a lot of possibilities there uh, specific to the cloud. Um, and we see the distributed system really as the platform that's most at risk today. It's easy to move uh, some applications um, to the cloud, like email and so forth, our business critical applications will run and continue to run on the mainframe, but it's the distributed environment that seems to be most at risk in our view today. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, IBM, the language we use is sort of chapter one and chapter two of people's cloud adoption. I think people are starting to come to the end of that chapter one where they move the commodity pieces of their estate to the cloud, you know, CRM systems, email systems, you know, the systems of engagement for their teams. But that, those mission critical systems, that's going to be harder yards. You know, I think 
we're going to see a lot more private cloud deployments than we are public cloud deployments in that most mission critical of space. So it's interesting your perspective. I think the most interesting thing for our listeners there is the 10 year gap you've had and, and your reaction to come into a, an event like share and just really seeing that dynamic and that, that sort of change. I think, I mean, if you can maybe expand on kind of what, what your reaction was as you walk into sort of the expo hall and share and, and see all those students and see those kind of women taking those roles kind of, if you could just maybe expand there, I think that'd be a really interesting insight for the listeners. It's been really inspiring. Um, and it really, it was a profound difference. It wasn't a subtle difference that took me a while to notice. It was something that I noticed almost immediately. And there's a real sense of community. If you, you know, go to the share website and, you know, look at some of the pictures, you'll just see there's a lot of camaraderie um, and momentum around young people and women in the mainframe. Also with the Broadcom acquisition and some of the investments that they're making and their support of the mainframe platform, I think is, is driving some um, momentum as well. So it really was a profound change um, between this year and 10 years ago. And it was very inspiring and we're excited to be part of it. So, yeah, and I, and I certainly get that buzz. I'm, I'm really um, sort of fortunate to do this podcast and we've had a few of those graduates come on and talk about their experience. And, you know, as some of these young professionals are really effervescent about the platform and really excited to be in this space and i think that you know certainly as as a main famer of a few years now that 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 certainly just energizes me you know hearing that people are excited to be embarking on a career on this platform just i I think it's a fantastic thing it is so it is it's exciting so one of the questions i always ask is a crystal ball gazing question. I think it's really good to get senior leaders like yourself and ask them this question. You'll be in a strategic planning cycle. You'll be planning for success of your business. But where do you see the mainframe sort of two, three, five years out from now, from all of your experience? Where where do you think we're heading? So I think our, you know, mission critical uh, high volume transactional applications will continue to reside on the mainframe. One of our goals in making the mainframe more affordable is to hopefully offer customers the opportunity to move more workload for the mainframe and stop the tide of, of customers trying to get off the mainframe because they perceive it as cost prohibitive. And it is hard for new businesses to move to the mainframe, uh, but that is happening um, as well. So we hope that there will be more mainframe customers and more workload on the mainframe as innovations like Virtual Z and other non-technical innovations like Taylor Fit Pricing and things will continue to come about, that the mainframe will become more prevalent. We see uh, mainframe Linux as a path to that, a path because from a skills gap perspective, if you have Linux skills, those are fairly portable from one platform to another. And in organizations today, 
such a small population of the IT team is focused on the mainframe. So maybe if you took the entire IT staff of a large mainframe organization today, maybe 10% of the team is focused on the mainframe. Um, they don't always have a voice. Um, their management might not speak their language. Um, so we believe um, through our work efforts, through the efforts of the Open Mainframe Project, and as I said, you know, some of the investments that Broadcom and others are making, that we can start to bridge a gap of understanding that we can make the platform more cost effective, that we can bridge the skills gap, and that we can enable customers to take advantage of the platform that is still, again, from the 1960s, still the most secure, reliable, available platform uh, for customers to leverage. I think if we look ahead two or three years, I see the same sort of dynamic. I think we're starting to see new customers come onto the platform. We're starting to see that skills gap and that issue that was maybe really at the front of people's minds five years ago be addressed by some of the big users of the platform as they bring to new, new people on and the reaction that you've got to share and saw those new people in the industry. So I think we're, I, I share your view. I think we're in a good place. I think it's going to be a very different kind of view going forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost track of time here, which is always a good sort of insight, uh, good <laughs> place to be on these podcasts. It means we're having a great conversation. And, but I'm looking at the time. Is there anything you want to sort of leave us with? Anything else you've not sort of covered before we wrap up? Well, one thing I would add is that um, our chief technology officer, Vince Ray, um, he was one of the earliest uh, participants in uh, what's now become the Open Mainframe Project. Of course, that name is fairly new, but Linux on the mainframe, you know, goes back to the early 2000s. And much of the low-level um, you know, drivers and so forth that allowed Linux to boot up and run were written by Vince and his team. And he's brought, uh, in t you know, preparing for this podcast with him, I was asking him about some of his work because he's um, been part of kernel.org and actively involved in this community. And Vince has brought over 64 commercial products to mainframe Linux in his career. So I want to thank you for including us uh, in the Open Mainframe Project and in the I Am a Mainframer podcast. It's a platform that, as I said, we intend to invest in. And I would just like to say thank you. It's been really a pleasure to participate in the conversation, Stephen. I lost track uh, of time myself. <laughs> That's always a good thing, right? No, I mean, yes. thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us. It's been really good. I think a lot of key messages for the listeners, you know, new innovative companies like Virtual Z coming to the platform, you know, starting up with new ownership structures, which I think are really exciting and, and should be encouraged as we look to get a more diverse set of mainframers onto this box. Um, so I think some really interesting things there. I think a really good perspective on your journey. Um, so the listeners have picked up and I think a couple of good takeaways there around taking risks and, and aligning yourself with, with people who are aspirational. So no, it's, it's been a fantastic podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. 
So my name's Stephen Dickens. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project. Please click and subscribe and tell your friends on your social media platform, and we'll be with you again soon.